God, what a hope is ours in Jesus Christ. And we give you praise this morning. And we worship you this morning. Who are we that we have been gathered up into your good work? Lord, this morning, as we give you worship, we pause right now together and ask that you would gather others to your throne. Lord, the resurrection isn't really preached in Thailand yet. And Lord, we pray that it would be. We pray that you would rise in the hearts of many in Thailand and bring them to you. That perhaps even by this time next year, Christ would be known among some. That your church would be planted. That many would come to know you. Lord, right now in Spotsylvania, churches of all different kinds are going to preach the gospel this morning. Lord, I pray that those churches which are preaching the gospel would be filled. Filled with worshipers who come to worship you. Filled with sinners who could come to know you. Lord, this glorious gospel, would you make it known? in our community, amongst our family and our friends. Lord, today right here at Mercy Hill, would you be at work? As we open your word together, would you speak, O Lord? Would you reveal Christ to us afresh? Jesus, you said that it was to our advantage that you went away you would send your Holy Spirit. So we pray that that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the risen Christ would be at work helping us to see and savor and worship our risen Lord. And Lord, if there are any here who don't know you, you would pull upon their hearts this morning. From four years old to 94 years old. Bring them to you our glorious risen Christ. Because to you is, is to be all praise and all glory and all honor. For you are worthy of all. We lift these prayers up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, worship team. Praise God. And if I haven't had the privilege to meet you. My name is Ken DeLage. I serve as the senior pastor here. And uh, if you're new here, thank you for being with us on Easter Sunday. It is a privilege to have you here, and it is a joy for us to get to worship the Lord together uh, on Easter. So open your Bible, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. something about Easter Sunday, which reminds me of just the historic faith that we share. Right now, all across the globe, Christians are gathering to worship, and Christians have been gathering to worship and proclaim the risen Christ for almost 2,000 years. Same message. Year after year after year. My hope this morning, and I don't think you'll be surprised, 
is to preach the same message. It's being preached across the world this morning and has been for centuries. So it didn't take long for Christians to start preaching about the resurrection. Of course, they started talking about it immediately when it happened, right? The women ran from the tomb to tell the disciples. And Peter and John, in a foot race, back to the tomb to see what the ladies had described and then running back to the disciples to describe that to them. Then, of course, Jesus appeared to some of them on the road to Emmaus and and the rest went back and told their friends, this Jesus just appeared to us, he is risen. But they didn't go and start proclaiming the resurrection of Christ to the world, to non-believers, until 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. And Acts chapter 2 records this event. The, the first Christian sermon. It was a crazy day. It was a crazy day. The, the disciples had gathered together. Jesus had told them, wait in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit came on this particular day. It's called the day of Pentecost. And he was poured out in a visible kind of manifestation of power that was unique to that day, an amazing day. Tongues of fire rested upon each of them. A mighty rushing wind swept through the place where they were gathered, and they each began speaking languages that they didn't know. But what's interesting about those languages is that other people in Jerusalem who were like visiting for the feast, they knew those languages. How did you learn that language? How did you learn that language? And so this crowd began to gather. There was a commotion and a crowd, and there was such a commotion. Talk about joy. Talk about joy on Pentecost that, that people thought that the disciples were drunk. They gathered to find out what is going on with this group of people. And in the midst of that commotion, Peter stood up, preached the first Christian sermon. And we're going to consider it this morning. Now, his sermon takes up most of Acts chapter 2. We're going to confine ourselves to just a few verses, beginning in verse 22. So let's uh, follow along as I read. I'm going to read verse 22 to 24 of Peter's sermon. And it is God's word for us this morning. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let's pray. Father, we rely on the same Holy Spirit this morning that you first poured out upon your church back on this day. We invite you to fill this room and even our hearts that we can understand your inspired word 
see you more clearly and worship you with all of our hearts. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So Peter gets to the heart of the gospel in verse 23, where he talks about the cross of Christ. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So he talks about the cross in verse 23, and then in verse 24 is our resurrection verse. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. And that's where we're going to focus this morning, appropriately on an Easter Sunday. We're going to focus on the resurrection verse, verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Let's not forget who's preaching here. It's Peter who's preaching. Peter had seen the empty tomb. He was one of the two disciples that had gone running out there and had himself looked in the empty tomb, saw that it was in fact empty. He knows the historicity of the resurrection. And here he gives praise to one place, one person for this, and that is God. God raised him up. Peter sees in this a miracle where God raised Christ from the dead. He raised him up. What Peter is preaching is the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The church believes in a physical, bodily resurrection of Christ because the scriptures proclaim a physical, bodily resurrection of Christ. The scriptures proclaim it throughout. From some of the first tellings in the gospels, in the gospel of Luke, for example, Luke records how the the women went out early that Sunday morning with spices, not that they were expecting a resurrection, they were expecting to anoint a body for permanent burial. But they found a stone rolled away and no body in the tomb. And two angels saying, you know, what are you doing? Why are, why are you here seeking the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And then Matthew very similarly describes the angels speaking. Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified He is not here, for he has risen. And now Peter, who was there on that morning, declares the same thing. God raised him up. But what's interesting, and what I want to focus on of what Peter says, is he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, God raised him up. He says this, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. What, what does that mean? The pangs of death. What is Peter talking about here? This phrase, pangs of death. Well, first, the, the word pangs in, in the original can be translated, you know, pangs or pain or suffering. So there was suffering associated with the death of Christ, not merely a physical death, that he endured, but sufferings surrounding his death. And he was released not just from physical death, but also from the sufferings which surrounded his death. The Lord God loosed the pangs of death 
which had previously been binding Christ. So, we tend to think that the resurrection reverses the death of Christ on the cross, and indeed it does. But in another way, it reverses all that happened on the cross. And more happened on the cross than merely a physical death. A lot more happened on the cross than merely a physical death. And that's what Peter is including in this phrase, the pangs of death. So here's what I want to do over the next few minutes. I want us to consider the the pangs of death that was loosed from Christ on the day of his resurrection. Here's the thing about the, the, the resurrection. You can't rightly preach the resurrection without preaching the cross. Can't happen because the two go together, two sides of the same coin. And indeed, we shouldn't preach the cross without preaching the resurrection too, because this was God's seal that it was in fact finished, that Christ actually accomplished what he came to accomplish on that cross. And here's Peter as he's preaching, referencing back to the pangs of death that Christ observed. So I want to take just a few minutes and consider the pangs of death that Christ endured. And as we do this, I want, to, I want us to look past the physical suffering that he endured. He endured physical suffering for sure. But if, if our understanding of the cross is limited to the physical suffering that he endured, we have but a, a surface level view. And we have not seen beneath that surface to what he was really enduring these pangs of death. Now, we're going to be looking into very deep waters. And we could be tempted to think that, you know, we're going to, we're going to plumb those waters over the next... Friends, we're not going to come close to plumbing. These are, by the grace of God, we will never need to plumb these waters because he did so that we wouldn't have to. But for a moment, let's peer in and see something of what Christ endured. Though our knowledge is limited, and though I'm going to speak of things which are mysteries, we we can still speak truly because Scripture speaks truly. And there are at least four pangs of death that Christ endured on the cross. And here's the first, the burden of sin. The burden of sin. like a storm cloud rushing towards him. He can see it coming. And the cloud is full of the sin of man. And he will be drenched in it. Innumerable sins from each of innumerable sinners. Thousands upon tens of thousands of sins. Sin upon sin, wrong upon wrong, guilt upon guilt, laid upon his shoulders like a backpack that would crush him through the earth. Like a robe wrapped around him that would suffocate the life out. So intense was the weight of sin, so pervasively did it soak 
him. So closely did he identify with the sin of his people that 2 Corinthians says this. It says, in words that would be almost blasphemous if it wasn't in Scripture itself, that the Holy One, He became sin for us. The one who knew no sin. The perfect one. The Holy One. Plunged. Baptized. Our baptism pictures a remission of sins. He was baptized into sin. This was the first of his pangs of death. Second, there was the shame of sin. The shame of sin. Shame is the opposite of honor. It's the opposite of, of glory and of esteem. It is the dishonor, the disapproval, the dislike that came with the sin that he wore. Now, this was pictured vividly, physically, in what he endured. The the mocking, the, the, the beatings, the crown of thorns as though he were a king, the, the purple robe as though he were a king. The sign placed over his head, the king of the Jews. His placement between two criminals. His death on an instrument of humiliation, naked on the cross. Yet somehow all of those only picture the shame. For as he hung in shame before the earth, he hung in shame before the heavens. The son of God of the sin of the world. Hebrews 12 says that he endured the cross despising the shame. Number three, the separation from God. These are mysteries. You and I have never known perfect intimacy with God. Not for a moment. If you're a believer, you know something of relationship with God. Praise God. It's, it's the best part of the gospel is that we get to know God. We get to, we get to relate with him. And yet we know him as through a glass dimly. One day face to face, but that day for us has not come. We don't know what it is to enjoy the face-to-face presence with God for a moment. And yet Christ knew not what it was to not be enjoying that for all eternity. For all eternity, knowing the kind face of His Father. Far before He created the world. Until then, when the Father turned His face away. And how startling its removal and how terrible its absence and how dreadful the disappearance, the kind face of God. We can know something of 
the difficulty of this because on the cross, Jesus made no mention of the weight of sin on his shoulders. On the cross, he made no mention of the shame that he was enduring. But this moved his lips. And on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This one he could not keep in. Separation from God. The third of his pangs of death. The final that scripture is clear about, the final burden laid upon the soul of Christ was the punishment of God against the sin that he bore. The punishment of God against a million sins from a million sinners. He became the focal point of the right, just wrath of God against sin. Upon Christ, the Father punished sin. And God punished it in full measure. He passed over nothing. He discounted nothing. And he miscounted nothing. Each and every sin punished with the full penalty that it deserved. And if you're wondering, the penalty due to sin can be summed up in one word. Hell. Hell. An eternity away from the kindness of God, enduring his wrath. And that, friend, hell is the penalty due to one sinner. And there he endured the penalty to innumerable sinners. And hell, I, it, it's meted out over eternity. And he endured for just a few hours. The pangs of death. I'm going to stop in a moment. We're deep into the pool. But I will note that the eternity of judgment which was due against sin, was not abbreviated in those three hours on Christ. It was condensed into three hours upon Christ. The pangs of death. Friends, as we contemplate these pangs of death, I want to use them first as a lens as a prism, as a screen through which we can see something of the profound nature of the love of Christ. The profound nature of the love of Christ. Do you ever wonder if Christ loves you? Do you ever wonder if God actually could love you? Friend, look here and wonder no more. If God loves you. Because these pangs of death, which we only just described, he saw their, their actuality coming towards him. That storm cloud approaching quickly. Their very reality in full. 
and he did not seek shelter from the storm. This is what was going on in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he was crying out and sweating drops of blood before the Father, as he was stealing himself to drink the cup that the Father had for him to drink, this cup of wrath, these pangs of death. He perceived the danger that these would be to him. And then, friend, in mercy, he perceived the danger that they would be to you. And so he resolved in your place to stand there. In my place, to be my substitute, to be your substitute. In full view of the coming storm, he took not shelter for himself, but rather himself became a shelter for his people and endured that storm. Has love, has, has love like this been conceived? Has it ever been considered? Tell me a story in the history of mankind from every culture, from every, every phase in history. Where has such love like this been seen? Or what fiction writer ever dreamt of something like this? No, it never entered into the heart of man what was in the heart of God towards man. Glory to God for his love for sinners, that he willingly bore the pangs of death for us so that we would not have to bear them, so that you would not have to bear them. Friend, that's the message of Easter this morning. Friend, if if you don't know the Lord, if if you've never become a Christian, if if you've never committed your life to follow, listen, This is what Christ did for you. He took the wrath of God against your sin so that you could know God, so that these pangs of death would be his and not yours. It is a most wondrous exchange. You know what? You know who Christians are? They're not like the good people. Christians are those who recognize that that cross should have been mine. That those pangs were mine to bear. That he took them for me. Friend, Christ came to be a savior of sinful people. Not a finder of good people. Friend, if, if, if you don't know the Lord, let me encourage you. Just let your Easter prayer today be, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Would you please forgive me for my sin? Would you please forgive me for turning away from God, for living my own way, for making myself the priority? I want to know you. I can't do it on my own. Would you, would you do it for me? Friend, this is a story about what Jesus did for you. You're not really in here. This is his work, not our work. This is his work. It's, it's accomplished, and we may trust it. That's the message of Easter. So, on the cross, Jesus endured the pangs of death. But I'll note, that's not what really Peter's talking about in verse 24. No, verse 24 is not a verse about the cross per se. It is a verse about the resurrection. Verse 24 is a victory verse. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Those pangs of death that we just talked about, they have been loosed. 
from Christ, he bears these things no more. After the apparent defeat, after the sin and the shame and the isolation and the judgment, after all the pangs of death had encompassed him, he was loosed from all the pangs of death. After Friday, there was a Sunday. And God loosed the pangs of death. After the suffering comes the rejoicing. That sin which had so engulfed Christ on the cross. Well, friend, he's no longer bound by that sin. He left that in the grave like some discarded grave clothes that he needs no more. That sin is in the grave and it stays in the grave. And that shame, that shame that he bore as the sacrificial lamb of God, that shame has given way to glory. For now he has the name which is above every name. And one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that isolation that he endured, friend, he does not endure that any longer. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God now and forever in perfect communion with his Father. But not just that. As the one who sits there, as our substitute who sits there, he invites us there too. And we're reconciled to God through the isolation of Christ. Glory to God. And that judgment, that judgment against sin that he deserved, that we deserve, that he took, three words summarize that judgment. It is finished. It's finished. There's none left. None. Because the pangs of death were loosed from our Lord Christ by God the Father himself. The pangs of death no longer hold our Savior. And friend, listen, those pangs of death were yours. And so they no longer hold you either. He didn't, lose, he didn't leave his own pangs of death in the grave. He left your pangs of death in the grave. The things that he was carrying, they weren't his. They were yours. He put them in the grave. He left them in the grave. Those pangs of death are gone forever. Here's what, here's what the father declared on the day of the resurrection. That sacrifice is approved. That sacrifice is complete. That sacrifice is fully pleasing. It is enough for me. I need no more sacrifice. Never again. The work of Christ is complete. It is finished. Friend, if you are in Christ, you need fear none of those pangs of death. For Christ bore them for you and has now been loosed from them. And as he was your substitute in the one, he's your substitute in the other. You are loosed from those pangs of death as well. The resurrection is God's declaration that all that Jesus did on the cross stays on the cross. It's over. It's finished. There's nothing, nothing left for you to earn between you and God. There's nothing, nothing left for you to pay for between you and God. And God, there's nothing, 
Nothing that you need to do to earn relationship with God. These were accomplished in Christ on the cross. And now he is risen to deliver those things to his people. This is a day for worship, friends. Easter has been a day for worship for 2,000 years, and it will be the day for worship until our Lord returns. And I dare say after that day, we're going to keep praising him for the same thing. For his work on the cross, his finished and approved and completed and done forever work. Today is a day of worship and victory and hope. All that held him, all that should have held us is now bound in the grave. Imagine this. Christ was baptized into sin, and sin died. He was baptized into death, and death was defeated. He was baptized into shame, and what came out? Glory came out. He won on the cross. You couldn't see that on the cross, but through the prism of the resurrection, you go, oh, 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 he won. Praise God, he won. All that looked like it had defeated him. He defeated on that day. Friends, ours is a future with this risen Savior. Can you believe that? Ours is a future with this risen Savior. Now, if you're younger than me, you're thinking, yeah, but that's a long time away. And by about my age, and probably as I get older, you go, you know what? That's not so far away. What a hope is ours regardless of the day that he brings us home, that he will bring us home, and that the physical death we're going to face has been defeated in Christ. And one day we will rise with him again. Friend, your future is not defined by sin. It is defined by the holiness of Jesus Christ. It's not defined by shame, though we would deserve it. It's defined by the glory that he would share with us. It's not defined by the judgment of God that we may deserve. It's, it's defined by the approval and acceptance of God. And friend, no matter what your situation is in this world, family or friends or whatever, your, your life is not defined by isolation, but by acceptance by God himself. That is our hope. That is our hope that one day we will see him face to face. That is our hope because of the resurrection. Church, he is risen. He has risen. He has risen. Glory to God. The hope that is ours because he is risen. Let's pray together. Lord, before we stand and worship, I just ask that you would quietly work in hearts. Church, I just invite you to pray with me. That if there are any here who have never heard or never responded to the message of the risen Christ, Holy Spirit, that you would work right now to draw them to yourself. If that's you, friend, I just, I would encourage you to pray quietly, even in your own mind. Father, forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Me. Would you 
forgive my sin? Would you welcome me into relationship with you? Would you help me follow you all the days of my life? Friend, if you're praying that now, I just would encourage you to, to come up after the service. We're going to sing a couple songs here. And then as the service closes, we'll have a time of prayer uh, at the end with some folks up front. I'll be up here. Pastor Sean will be up here. Just encourage you to come up and speak with one of us that, that we can pray with you and for you. Encourage you as you're beginning your journey of following Christ. Father, now as we turn from contemplating the cross to expressing our worship to you, would you enable us to do this by your spirit? You are worthy of all of our praise. Receive our praise now as we sing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.